today we arrive at the final message of this series. Each week, I've been repeatedly blessed and awed by the quality of the messages which have been spoken to us. These past few months have brought challenges to every aspect of our lives. Socially, we've been deprived of physical contact and the blessing of actually seeing each other, which has made many of us suffer a sense of loss. Culturally, Angela and others challenged us to face up to the fact of racism in society, institutions, and also the church. I had no idea just how deeply ingrained are my culturally white attitudes. The real life accounts of others have made me wonder how unwittingly patronizing and offensive I might have been. So apologies if you've been affected by me. Spiritually, we have been challenged to actually live the faith we believe and to show what we believe by living like Jesus. And then Justin Towler gave us great encouragement as he reminded us that God has used, God uses the hurt and broken to declare his message. Each week, it seems, we have had practical messages which challenged us to treat people with honor every day, to live our faith in practical ways, to seek wisdom and to face the challenge of the constant tension between the world and the kingdom of God, and to live 100% for Jesus. Rob has reminded us that our words have awesome power, so think before we speak. He wants us to be humble and not proud, and talk about fishing and strategies for dealing with temptation. He challenged us to make a difference as we considered trafficking and modern slavery, fair trade and ethically sourced products. And perhaps you have felt personally challenged like me each week, culminating last week in the call to persevering earnest prayer. In summary, the words of James have been direct and clear. No softening of his message as he tells it straight. But actually, I cannot remember any time when a series of messages has been so utterly relevant to the situation of present day life. As we come to the end of the book of James, his conclusion seems to me to be uncomfortably realistic. No final greeting, no words of encouragement, but a salutary warning and challenge. My brothers and sisters, he says, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The last two verses of James. James warns that some will wander away from the truth it's an undeniable fact, but he follows with a somber responsibility. In effect, he extends the general gospel challenge to go into seek and restore the wanderer. It's a call to every believer. We sometimes describe pastoral care, because that's what we're basically talking about here, as one anothering, because the New Testament is replete with one another's. I started to list ones that came up in my search and found 
more than 25 references throughout the New Testament Gospels and letters. We have love for one another, be kind to one another, live in harmony with one another, forgiving one another, stir up one another, encourage, build, do good to one another, and so on. But I sense that James has been burdened by the fact of people falling away throughout the book as he's challenged the believer to live the truth of the gospel. Everything he said challenges us to live a life that demonstrates godliness and true faith. We've already heard that James was a brother of Jesus, and it's clear that his letter or sermon contains many references to Jesus' teaching. And in pondering these few verses, I have been reminded strongly of Luke 15, where we have three wonderful parables which Jesus gave about things being lost, the sheep, the coin, and the son. And we'll return to these in a few moments. But first, how were people becoming wanderers? The early church had several difficulties from within. In Acts 14, we have an account of the discussion regarding the requirement for Gentile Christians to be circumcised as promulgated by certain Jewish Christian teachers. James gives his summary judgment and initiates the writing of a circular letter to correct this error. The New Testament letters reveal the tendency in the early church to return to the legalistic practices of doing over being, of keeping the law in addition to faith and grace. James has made the point clearly that belief is not just something internal, it is living, vibrant and relevant to every day, externally demonstrated and verified. Paul describes his own anguish as he hears of believers being caused to stumble or fall away. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. The apostle had a constant anxiety or concern for all the churches. And he felt it keenly when he heard of anyone being led astray for whatever reason, longing for their restoration. Paul warned in Romans 16, 17, watch out for those who cause divisions and offenses among you. An offense is often the catalyst which drives a wedge and separates a believer from his or her faith. I've often come across this situation. Someone's making good progress or just perhaps beginning as a Christian. And then someone says something ill-advisedly, makes a criticism, shows a lack of grace, or makes an insensitive remark, and suddenly the person affected stops meeting with believers, mm. hides themselves away to avoid being hurt again. Many people are hurt by the people who should be doing the opposite. Here, let me apologize. If I have ever been a cause of offense to anyone, we're all subject to doing so, but some people seem to make a habit of it. In Romans 14, Paul directs us how to behave to each other. He says, so then, 
each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So I hear James writing as a wise and loving pastor. He's not judging people harshly for their doubts or questions. Instead, he's encouraging those who are strong to go after the struggling and seek to restore them to faith. So let's return to the parables of lost sheep, coin and son in Luke 15. There's a lot one can say about this chapter, but I wanted to, I just want to bring out a few points. First of all, the sheep had wandered away from the flock. We assumed that he'd become occupied with eating and not realized others were gone. Or he had somehow maybe been caught, perhaps snared in a thorn bush, which is a real issue for sheep with long coats. But Jesus tells us that the shepherd noticed the missing sheep and he did something about it. As the message translation puts James 15, uh, puts it in James 5:19, he says, "My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. In a crowd of a hundred, it's easy to miss the one, but Jesus makes the point strongly that he is concerned with the one." as much as the 99. Is this something someone needs to hear this morning? Jesus cares about you and what you're going through, and he wants to draw you back in, however you have wandered. Jill and I often spend time after a meeting, whether it's on Zoom or face-to-face, -face, going through the people we've seen and thinking about who we did not see. We then ask about them or text to see if they're okay or simply pray for them. Secondly, the coin. At first, I wondered how this inanimate article linked between the more obvious animate sheep and sun. As I pondered, I felt some clarity. The coin was a precious item to the woman, equally in fact the 10 days wages, and it had been lost, perhaps on the dirt floor or amongst the furnishings of daily life. What do we count as precious? The letter to the church in Ephesus is instructive here. In Revelation 2, we read, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have treasured, you have persevered, and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. As far as the truth was concerned, they were spot on. Their discernment of the false was supreme. They persevered against all kinds of difficulty. As far as you could tell, it was a good 
successful church, but they'd forsaken the love you had at first. Love, that intangible catalyst which first motivated their gatherings and inspired them to press on through every difficulty and setback had now dimmed. They lost their vitality. I suggest that this is an area of loss in many people and in churches all around. The vibrancy and passion has waned, and now gathering together has become just what you do or what we did every week. The bounce has gone from your step. Over the years, I've been conscious of many situations where the love has grown cold and the fire of the gospel dwindled. Is our 10 year anniversary a time to reevaluate how accurately we demonstrate the values which we espoused at the start? Is it time to rekindle love? To remember the things that first drew you to Jesus? Is it time to gather together and rehearse those things that blessed you in the early days and repent of allowing the wonder of it all to disappear in the spiritual furnishings of life? Has doing church become more important than being church? Thirdly, then, the sons and their father. One can speak at length about the lost son and the father, but I want to highlight something that has come to me recently and concerns the other son, the one who stayed at home and not wandered away. In Luke 15, we read, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And the father's response, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The son's statement I've been slaving for you, raises many questions about the relationship between the father and son. But whatever lays there, it's obvious that secret resentment had been building for years. The younger brother had shamed his family by asking for his inheritance ahead of time, which he'd squandered appallingly. But the elder brother had stayed home but he had failed to ask for what was freely available to him. He completely missed out on the privilege which was his by right and instead become internally bitter and disgruntled until it finally burst out in a tirade of hurt and emotion. Remember Jesus' words, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find. Beware of allowing mistaken disappointment to cloud the truth of God's goodness and favor and his willing provision and so prevent you from asking and receiving. The truth is that the younger son 
understood the generosity of his father, although he abused it, while the older son completely failed to understand it. So James has boldly communicated a collective responsibility towards the wanderer. We all are to try to bring that person back to a place of faith. Maybe some of the older brother types who misunderstood the father. Perhaps some feel they are owed their young goat and they didn't get what they wanted. James doesn't give any details of what to do next. So I want to help us to begin to think about it. Here are my five short suggestions, which I trust will be helpful. Firstly, empathy more than sympathy. Sympathy can perpetrate a pity party where the feelings of grief or hurt are shared and commiserated. It can simply feed each other's misery round and round unless it leads to a changed aspect of the situation. Whereas empathy lets the person know, I've been there, or I understand what you're feeling. Maybe I too have felt like that, but this is how God changed things. This is how I found my way back into relationship and out of the problem. It encourages the person and stimulates hope. Secondly, listen more than speaking it's often easy to blurt out your own thoughts and come up with a possible solution without waiting for god's wisdom i know that there have been many times when i've spoken quickly my own take on the situation only to find that my comments have been unhelpful and quite honest rubbish to listen involves hearing the meaning beyond the words being said. It necessitates going deeper than the superficial to ask God to show you a root of the situation. Internally, ask the Holy Spirit, why has this seemingly innocent, maybe even stupid comment created such a deep wound? Ask the Holy Spirit, what questions should I be asking to dig deeper to bring help to, to the cause beyond the symptoms? It may be that you'll need to speak directly, to challenge some attitude or statement, to correct some untruth or wrong thinking. You can only do this effectively when you are listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit and always in humility and love. A wise practice is to hold back until God brings the right opportunity and the best words to speak what is needed. You can be right, say the right things ahead of the time when the person is ready to hear it. It's better to wait and pray. Thirdly, encouragement. It is as you listen to the Holy Spirit that you may be able to give some words of insight to help the wanderer to return back to the fold. I was once with a shepherd and he asked me to help return a sheep to the flock from the pen where it had been cared for temporarily. We got to the gate, took the sheep into the field and I thought, just let it go. 
it'll go to the sheep at the opposite end of the field down the hill. And I was told quite clearly, no, we needed to make sure the sheep had seen the flock, otherwise it would remain lost. It needed to be reintroduced to the flock. So it is with those who are hurt or damaged. The aim of encouragement is restoration, to bring the aggrieved person back into relationship by coming alongside and drawing the person in. Like Barnabas with Saul in Acts 9, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Fourth, understanding and humility. This is the ability to help another without making him or her feel less important than they are. It is bringing words that are full of God's grace. In Galatians 6, we read, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overtaken by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I have met a few people, even before Jubilee, who always made me feel important. Dave Weatherly was a single older man when I was younger. When he met you, he made you genuinely feel that you were his favorite friend and he was so thrilled to see you. You immediately knew that at that moment, you were the most important person to him. He was a man who spoke words of encouragement all the time. I never heard him ever speak anything negative about anyone, and he was totally captivated by the love of Jesus. A few times we spoke about concerns for another person, and Dave was always moved with compassion and love. Dear Jesus, bless him. Bless her would often be his first comment. In Colossians 3, verse 14, we read, Over all the virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I think it's the fifth one now. Bring hope. Finally, ask the Holy Spirit for prophetic insight. Spend time in prayer, maybe even in tears as well. Maybe standing and declaring and proclaiming the truth. It may be that you are to engage in spiritual warfare regarding the issue by rejecting the lie and declaring the truth. Remember, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's good to ask our Father, are there any words of encouragement, words of hope you want me to speak? 
Finally, Galatians 6 verse 3 says this. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. But another person has written, instead of you are not that important, he's put, you are deluded. Have you been offended? <laughs> Has something or someone caused you to draw back or lose your joy and enthusiasm? To hold on to offense is to give root to bitterness. The best thing is to bring it to Jesus. Forgive the person and let it go. Freedom in Christ, we lead people in a prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, I forgive, name the person. For, name what they did or said, which made me feel, describe the emotion. I give you this hurt, this feeling of rejection, these emotions, and ask you to bless the person. I release them from their responsibility for this matter and trust you to set me free. It works. God does it. Have you offended or hurt someone? First, repent before God. Ask him for wisdom about how to move forward in your relationship with him or her. Above all, let the outcome be totally dependent on God. Let him bring the right opportunity for reconciliation. But first and most important, be reconciled in your heart. Have you begun in any way to drift away from the vitality of delight in God's grace? begun to tot up your good deeds and merit points before God? Have you lost the sense of joy in the presence of God? Well, now's the time to prioritize being immersed in the presence of Jesus. Begin with a few minutes every holy day, waiting in God's presence, asking the Father to speak to you. You know, I have found that the Holy Spirit responds immediately. And last thing, don't forget to look out for one another. Lord bless you. Father, we just want to come to you and repent, Lord, of the times when we've caused offence or hurt to anybody. It's wonderful, Lord, that you are never offended or hurt with us. You never turn away from us. You never let us go. Lord, we don't want to let each other go. We want to do everything we can, Lord, for the one and the two and bring them back in. Give us, Lord, that heart that looks out for people. Give us, Lord, that heart that knows the right words to say, that knows the right deeds to make that knows how to bring encouragement, that knows how to listen and lead people on into the next step. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Make us to be examples 
of those things to others in Jesus' name. Lord, let your blessing be on us as a people as we go forth in different ways, in different places, in holidaying different things. Lord, and let your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.